Welcome to Mac and Blue, the cutting edge podcast for the nation's builders, merging the realms of construction with exciting advancements in technology. Join us on a thrilling journey where we delve into the dynamic world of blockchain, AI, the metaverse, virtual and augmented reality, and their transformative impact on the industry. Our engaging discussions span a wide spectrum, covering not only construction, economic development, supply chain, and market segments, but also exploring the vibrant tapestry of diversity within the construction landscape. We shed light on the intersection of local politics and its profound influence on the construction sector, while championing the remarkable contributions of women and minorities in construction. For all things Mac and Blue, head to www.macandblue.com, and don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. I'm your host, JJ Levinsky. Now let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mac and Blue. I'm your host, JJ Levinsky, CEO and co-founder of Blue Wave General Contracting. Um, I'm lucky enough to have Chris Duncan on. Um, Chris is a partner. Ah, he's more than a partner. He's kind of he's kind of some sort of fancy C-suite guy at Farmer Woods Group. Um, he's in the insurance business. And no, don't judge me. Don't judge him. Just like we've had attorneys on, so don't group them in the bottom of the ocean together just yet. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, I have known uh, who I think Billy introduced us. Billy introduced us. Yep. Yeah, Billy, if you're watching or listening, we won't hold it against you. Um, uh, a mutual friend of ours, um, but we probably met a couple years ago. And uh, what I've enjoyed about watching Chris in the industry is um, the word agnostic comes to mind, but just how connected he is in relation to how we operate in the AEC space and how you are in the insurance space. So with that, before we get into all the geeky work stuff, tell everyone a little bit about like, are you a native, you know, family, kids, all that fun and what you do for fun other than work, you know, yeah. all that stuff. So absolutely. Yeah. So uh, native Phoenician, born and raised here, uh, grew up in Ahwatukee down in the Southeast Valley. Um, well connected here in the Valley, I think. And um, I, haven't, I haven't moved more than about six miles from where I grew up. Not going to move, like being down in the Southeast Valley. Um, two kids that I'm just incredibly proud of. Are they uh, yours? I think so. I hope so. <laughs> My daughter, unfortunately, looks just like me. Uh, she's a spitting image, so poor girl. Um, but yeah, 10-year-old daughter, uh, plays piano and dances and just wonderful. My son, um, big athlete, loves to play football and soccer. Um, he's eight years old. So you guys do a lot of chasing. Um, we, uh, do you have my, a minivan? My <laughs> wife has an SUV and she, I, I, I joke that she drives Uber every night from, from six to 9 PM as she shuffles the kids around every night. Um, uh, my wife is a stay at home mom and is just the, the best mom in the world. It's pretty cool. It's That's really cool awesome. To watch. Yeah. Um, but you went that, I mean, you, you were no slouch at ASU. Uh, so you weren't I, on the Tommy Boy plan, and you didn't have the. Uh, I did take a victory lap. Okay, absolutely. I absolutely was a, a slouch at ASU compared to my <laughs> compared to my friends. Um, one of my best pals runs a big company here in town, and he graduated number one in our class, and I graduated some somewhere near the bottom ish. Uh, but uh, wonderful program. Went through the construction management program at ASU. Um, had a ton of fun. Was in a fraternity. Was on a couple sports teams. Oh. and uh, really, really enjoyed my time at ASU. Maybe too much sometimes. All right, so the $4 million question. What the hell were you thinking when you got out of construction management? <clears throat> you didn't go right into insurance. So give us the whole journey. Yeah, no, I, and I think it's it's really, really good for where I am today. But um, graduated from ASU with my degree in construction management, um, knew a bunch of rich contractors and thought, this is an easy job. I want to go be a contractor and make all this money these guys driving fancy pickup trucks. Um, seemed simple to me and uh, really, really liked it. Um, 
I started my own company called DC Building Group right out of college and took on a couple of projects, did a couple of things and got to learn with my checkbook all the things that I didn't know that they don't teach in college about being in the general contracting business. And then um, was hired by a guy named Charlie Spencer at SCM Builders. We built Walgreens stores. Um, really, I, I would say my first mentor, my first true mentor um, in, in the workspace. And what, what, like, give us a time frame. What year was that? This would have been... Uh, maybe 08-ish. Okay. I graduated college, maybe 2009, 2010, somewhere okay. there. Uh, so pro- pre-recession though, like right on the- br- Right in recession. Right, right in the recession, so, okay. Yeah, and ultimately, um, Charlie taught me everything he could and I got to do every job in that company as he was winding down that company oh. um, just due to economic downturn. And um, had an opportunity to meet with Jim Farmer, uh, my, my now partner mm-hmm. uh, over at Farmer Woods Group one day, and I needed a new job just because Charlie was out of cash and um, he was he was going to shut her down pretty quick. Yeah. And uh, he said, why don't you come sell insurance? And I said, I have no interest in selling insurance. And he said, mm-hmm. well, come give it 90 days. I think you might think twice about it. And I gave it 90 days, and that uh, was 12 years ago this October. So I have to do my job. What happened in the 90 days? Um. I didn't have internet at home at the time, and I was searching for a job on monster.com. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Do, do, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, th- on this case, I am laughing at you, not, yeah, not totally, with you. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, Why I, isn't my resume going through? Yeah. I was, uh, you know, I was working part time for Charlie at, at, at SEM, and just, you know, I was like, God, I got I to gotta do something. I don't I think yeah. I can sell insurance. Um, and had a couple of really cool opportunities. Had a guy named, uh, had a guy, uh, JJ Green Builders. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on, on his name at the moment. I'll, I'll come up with it. Okay. He took a chance on me and let me sell him insurance. And I drove to Cave Creek 15 times to sell a, you know, $6,000 policy that ultimately, you know, I lost money by the time I did the math on the gas. But I thought this is a cool job. I get to be a part of his business. John mm-hmm. Ludich was his name. Excuse okay. me. John Ludich, my very first client. And um, you know, he took a chance on me. And I get to be a, an integral part of his business and this thing that mattered so much to him. And he took a chance on me. Um, and I, I got my butt kicked on that policy. Uh, and that was that was rough. But my next deal yeah. made a bunch of money on. And it was like, oh, I can do that job. And I'm um, stuck around. And it was... So early on, was it... Um, what, what kind of lines were you selling? Anything? Uh, I was no, it business? Uh, yeah. No, so we are all... My focus, 100% commercial focus. Got it. We There's no per- residential. Yeah, okay. we have a personal lines department in our office, but I've never focused on it. Got it. And so... I, I just wanted to co- you know, yeah, qualify uh, that for the audience's sake. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, when I started, it was... Uh, folks, I didn't know what I was doing. I truly didn't. Well, none um, of us did. Right. But I had a rad team behind me of people that just counted on me to go out and open up doors and bring stuff in. And they, you know, show me the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Farmer, who, you know, became my second work mentor, mm-hmm. you know, in, in my life. And um, we have a saying in our office is, you know, we've got pay time and non-pay time. And pay time is 8 to 4.30 every day when we're producing. Non-pay time is before and after. And Jim would get there every day at 6 o'clock and give me non-pay time. And I'd get his brain for free and I'd get his time for free from, from six to eight every day and uh, taught me a ton. And you know, we went out and got some deals done together and uh, it was really, really cool. Really, really cool. Um, so what, let's, let's dive into kind of the, the, the meat of work. What, what do you think the biggest misconception of the audience would be as far as what you do and what what's out there in the world and what what you're faced every day with as far as when you're representing customers and clients and people not understanding commercial lines of insurance yeah um 
I think more often than not, uh, our business is reduced down to you know commoditization. So it's get the cheapest thing that we can get and get us on the job and get us paid. Um, for us, we are in what I truly say is we're in the trust business. So when we are out finding good clients, finding people that we want to work with, we need long-term, we want and need long-term relationships built on trust that this is in most cases, your largest asset, and it deserves the right protection. It, des- it deserves the right conversations. And um, we are going to have you know, one of our core values, courageous conversations. Sometimes I'm going to have courageous conversations with my clients and tell them, hey, you're doing this wrong, and here is your exposure, and you need to pay attention to this. Um, we ultimately may ask you to spend more money on things that we find you know, are opportunities for losses, uh, but it comes down to trust. If you trust me, um, you know, we, we want to make sure that that we have a long-term relationship um, that uh, cost matters-ish until there's a claim. And then, you know, we want to make sure we have the right program in place. So you brought up the commoditization. How do you, and let's, be, let's face it, pretty much everyone is faced with some form of that in, yep. their, in their respective business. How, okay, it's one thing to talk all you utopian like you do, totally. Chris, but how do you overcome those things? I mean, what are some tools in the toolbox? Yeah, I mean, I, I, are you asking for some sales skills? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm, the audience wants to know. It's like, okay, well, what makes you special, Chris? Yeah. No, I think so. It, it's a handful of things, right? It's relationship based in that um, we've got really, really great clients that are long term clients that have given us the latitude to build them programs, and and they trust us implicitly in their risk management profile. And so, if you take that idea mm-hmm. and them talking about that to the to the um, audience at large, right? So, whomever's going to listen to them, they go, "Hey, Chris is my guy. Uh, I've got a really great big client here in town." And he goes, "I don't even know the name of your company. I just know that if it's insurance related, I call Chris." And that's interesting to me, right? Like that's you know, a hundred million dollar contractor and just become their guy, right? But it's um, the the commoditization happens based on misunderstandings, and it's. This is the same everywhere you go, and the piece of paper you rent every year could could potentially be the same, but it's who do you want to call on that when that black swan event happens, and you've got a major catastrophe on your hands, mm-hmm. and is the person you bought from the person you want to talk to when that happens, and if you don't you know if you don't love them they don't love you and they don't know your business and, and you don't really trust them that's a tougher conversation than if it's somebody that you just go yeah Chris is going to do whatever it takes or whomever, right? Probably no different than when one of your owners calls you and you got a problem, you just take care of it. Yeah, you do. You step up and you you, you put the bandwidth towards the problem and you, you figure it out and you bring the resources in and you just take care of it. Are there any other, um, you know, everyone talks about that built, I mean, you've, you've talked about it already, but that building <laughs> trust and, and, and even some empathy to a certain degree is what do you find? What's a consistent underlying theme there? I mean, other than selling Chris, because you're the brand. Yep. Let's be honest. All of us have to be the brands in some capacity of of your larger brand. But the personal brand always starts at that. But what what are other things that are always seem to come up that that cements that trust? Um, can you pinpoint anything? Yeah, I think it's um, in the acquisition of new clients. Uh, oftentimes, it's it is. Um, paying attention to what people are saying and not just waiting for your turn to talk. 
Okay. And so it's a novel approach. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's less about sales in my mind and more about just listening to what moves the needle and getting all of the parties involved. Mm. And, and so many things get lost in translation around emails between 10 different people. Now you get this email string that nothing makes sense. Like, let's just pick up the phone and clean things up and figure out what a perfect relationship looks like. And can we do that? Can we have a perfect relationship? If not, what things can can we not do? What things can we do? What things are we great at? Where do we need to work? Well, you know, what what is that opportunity? So, um, I always go back to trust. In that, you know, are we? Do you trust me? And if you do, then we can move forward. If you don't, then we need to figure out how to how to regain that trust, how to build that trust, or to transition you out because I don't want I don't want you to have to to wonder if we're doing the right thing for you, yeah. uh, you know, every day. Fair enough. The, um, uh, in the pre-work that we had done, if I can almost read my, my script here, it's like, you've mentioned the concept of quote marketing versus bidding when it comes to insurance programs. Um, what does that mean to you? And, and how do you parlay that to the audience? Yeah, we do a ton of, a ton of work with contractors and okay. you know, you guys are bidding work every day against your, your fellow contractor. Yeah, yeah. And so like, you're just used to this world of like turning in a hard number and bidding insurance. And in the world that we are in, the carriers are exclusive. So once I turn in your paperwork, another broker can't go get that quote from that person. Yeah. And so what you've got is you may be in a situation where you've let you, the way that you've bid your insurance, you let, you let that dictate an insurance company deciding who you're working with versus choosing your broker, giving your broker access to the entire marketplace and letting them market you effectively the way you want to be marketed, telling your story the way you want it told into the marketplace as a whole. Got it. So getting, it's our job to do your bidding. We're the GC, yeah. right? And we're going to our subs and grabbing your, and grabbing all Which the Which the carriers. Yep. yep. And bringing them to you so that you can make a decision that I want to go with XYZ company for these reasons. And, you know, we become your GC. How, how is your, how have you and your firm, uh, if you had to break it down into, uh, you know, just give some rough percentages of who you general contracting versus trade contractors or even vendors, how did, what is it? What does your portfolio look like? So we are, um, as a whole, we're a 90% commercial lines shop. Got it. Um, I would say that, um, our, our um, subcontractors mm. certainly pay the most amount of insurance mm -hmm. just because they bear the biggest risk, risk on yeah. any job. Um, so from a, a, a um, or excuse me, from a um, premium perspective, I'd say that subcontractors by far and away lead our, the amount of insurance we sell. But from a number perspective, I'd say we're probably, you know, pretty close to 50-50 on GCs versus mm. subcontractors. And is, is your is your firm only in the construction space? No, we are in, I'd, again, it's Arizona. Yeah. So construction runs everything. Yeah. We live and die by construction here. Right. Um, but our, uh, so our book is is largely construction. We do a ton of manufacturing. We do okay, a ton that, of real yeah, estate. That's what we I want. We do wanted. a ton of like, and I, it, even in my book specifically, right. like I say it's construction or construction adjacent. We're manufacturing construction materials or we're installing construction materials or we're contractors or, you know, something along those lines. Like it's all adjacent to it so here's one i i'm gonna i'm trying to put on the hat of the audience like mm -hmm. uh, i'm thinking about maybe i'm a, a smaller trade contractor or even a smaller gc that's out there and they struggle with insurance and i think one of the misnomers is i come to a broker like you you don't go to you don't have to go to one carrier for all your lines 
um, are you seeing more like in your world that you're shopping for us just like everyone wants us to shop for them are you finding different alliances with the different carriers within specific lines and and, and sectors so yeah. you know you like you run comp you, you run comp here you run gl here you run you know whatever um eno over here you run i mean all the different lines yeah. i'm just curious like how, what's it like in your world totally great question um uh, it's actually a really, really good question. So we take the approach that we are either going to bundle or unbundle as it's best for the client. So, so getting back to knowing them first. Yeah. So it's okay. what are the risk factors that exist in your business that would that would make us bundle or unbundle something? So if you are a, I, I don't know, a you can give examples. Yeah, yeah, a residential window installer. That's a really tough thing to to insure, as you can imagine, versus. A GC that's building commercial buildings. Yeah. You know, we might bundle a GC, we might unbundle a residential window contractor, just depending on what the appetite in the marketplace is. And where we are today, the appetite continues to change so rapidly because of you know downward pressure from you know economic pressures and things that happen. The, the carriers are all changing their mind on what they used to like and what they're going to like today. Hmm. Um, the single biggest thing that we can control, that we can help our clients control, is work comp. And yeah. that is that line of business. We've got wonderful carriers that allow us a ton of, of leeway to build programs, build to, to build loss control programs, and to build claim control programs and things like that. So you know that's what we're finding. That, you know we are unbundling that more and more. Yeah, because work comp carriers are specific in what they do. Yeah, and they're really good at it. Well, and I think that was where I was trying to get you to is because even sometimes I, I, I mean I feel like I've been in the business a long time, but. I'm humbled how much the carrier business changes year to year and going, oh, you know, I remember when it was bundle or take it or leave it on a bundle. Yeah. And now it seems like everything's got different tethers to different specialties. And quite honestly, it seems, at least in my situation, it seems like the the alliance is actually somewhat stronger so that your, you know, your comp is so focused that they really understand it or, you know, GL or, or whatever, or, um, you know, like professional liability if you're doing design build, things like that. So I just, I, I'm just, I, I guess I'm, I was, I've kind of been humbled by it a little bit on the specialty side lately. Yeah, totally. I, I, and I think too, like every industry today, we have a lack of talent, right? And so to find a an awesome, you know, claims person for work comp or an underwriter for work comp or claims person for auto, though mm -hmm. we are seeing much more specialization in every world where you used to be able to be a jack of all trades and now you know there are the the laws are hyper specific mm. the losses are bigger everything is you know changing so we have to have a ton of specialization in every line of coverage how has you know there's an episode that we don't do talking about you brought it up talent human capital mm -hmm. we just don't have enough people to do fortunately we just don't have enough people to do what we need to do um, to, to, to largely effectuate all the, the work that needs to be done here in the Valley and, and as Arizona grows. What I'm curious is to get through you, your eyes and your industry eyes is how does that transfer to risk in the, in the companies that you, you know, that you represent? So in other words, I'm, uh, let's role play here. Hi, I'm an, I'm a new GC, Chris, and I want you to, to be my broker. And, and, and as you peel the onion back and look at me, what are my biggest risk factors now based on just the compression of human capital that may are different than maybe five years ago? Yeah. Um, Is that a good, fair question? It, it's yeah. I want to, I want to go back even further okay. though. I think that like, um, for us, I identified years ago that we have a, we have a blue collar problem. Okay. People don't want to be plumbers today. They don't want to be framers. They don't want to do these things because there's, there's 
are, you know, quote unquote, cooler jobs available that are, you know, sitting behind a desk and doing cool podcasts, right? I mean, this is, this is, but more you don't have to go into six figure debt. And <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, but it's, but, you yeah. know, this is more fun than digging a ditch every day. It really? Yeah, it is. A and so, but it's bled over into, you know, I would consider our world in the insurance world very white collar, right? And we can't, insurance is not a sexy job, but neither is real estate. I mean, there's a lot of things that are like, that are great jobs that pay well that we can't get people to show up for right. because there's, I don't know what they're doing. And so the bleed down effect is that the carriers have less people, so they are working on less risks. And then when we come and look at a, you know, a young GC today, well, who are you hiring? Well, you've got all these great relationships with guys like Bill and these other great subcontractors. Well, they won't even return the phone call of a young GC that's never had a job before that they've never done a job for they don't have the bandwidth because they don't have enough people so now these young gcs are dealing with young companies with with younger people that again they may be great at their job but they've just got no history to show how mm. great they are so the risk is is incredible for these younger you know brand new gcs or these younger brand new subcontractors the risk is gigantic on those first few years until we get some you know People, if you've ever shopped your insurance, you've been asked for loss runs, and they go, oh, I've never had any losses. If I had a dollar for every time somebody told me they've never had any losses, well, except for that one guy, and yeah. insurance company screwed me on that one. Yeah. And so it's, but but those are, <laughs> it's like a young, we see that grow up, and all of a sudden it's like young companies that are in hyper growth mode, or they're just young companies. We have these losses, and they're afraid of them, and then you grow, and you're like, hey, this is part of the job. We're going to have losses. We just need to manage them on the back end, manage them appropriately, and how do we you know get better from them? There comes a time when dreams become a reality, when you see your vision materialize into a true work of art. And the only way to get there is to choose a general contractor who shares that same vision and knows how to bring it to life. At Blue Wave, we aren't so big that we've forgotten where we've come from, and we aren't so small that we can't care for your projects regardless of their size. When your vision deserves safety, perfection, timeliness, and expertise in order to become a reality, trust Blue Wave to get it done right the first time. So, the well, let, well but let, okay, so let's <clears throat> spin that. Let's, let's say I'm in the audience right now listening or watching, and they say, all right, Chris, you're, you just described me to a T. Yeah. What can I do over the next year to make me more marketable to 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 better carriers? Absolutely. It's great. Yeah. So we've got we have three ways to manage risk. Okay, go ahead. Risk management, risk retention, or risk mitigation. Okay? okay. So if we can mitigate it to somebody else, if you're a GC and you can push off your risk contractually to a subcontractor for the risk that they bring onto the job site, we want to mitigate as much risk as we can. Okay. okay? Fair enough. The stuff that we cannot get rid of, we have to manage. So let's let's put great policies and procedures in place on how we manage our work sites, how we manage the people around us, how we manage our employees. And then at the end of the day, we have to decide what level of risk we're willing to retain, and that's a risk retention. And we go, okay, our deductibles are X, we need to have this much cash on hand, or we know that this is a, this is a, hmm. a da more dangerous piece, add more risk management to it, because we cannot get rid of it, we cannot manage around it, we cannot eliminate it. And so we have to manage around it. And so it's really taking a good look at what work are you doing? Not everybody's going to go build a blue lagoon today, <laughs> right? I mean, we, that's not a first day job. Yeah. First day job might be building a yogurt shop yeah. and identifying the risks that exist in there and just being realistic with yourselves in. No, go ahead. We, yeah, we got to do the job. 
right? Let's do it the best way we know how so that we're alive tomorrow, you know, to, to live to live to fight another day and and grow. So let's go down a couple just because again I want to give stories and examples. Let's go down the mitigation thing. Let's yeah. explore some things. Uh, most companies all have some sort of fleet or vehicle or auto policies, you know, yeah. in which we don't need to go into the granular level of that. What are the biggest mistakes you see or what are the best what are your best companies that you represent? What are they doing in the, in just in fleet slash auto slash whatever? Gosh, Give me some examples. The, the the biggest needle mover we're seeing today. Yeah. Let's start with the biggest loss trend that we're seeing today is rear end incidents. People on their cell phones. It's happening everywhere. People are still a hundred percent. Really? A daily. Okay. Daily. I guess I'm naive to that. Yeah. People on their cell phones. I thought it had kind of gone through that cycle of everyone, you know, the, the societal guilt that everyone had put on each other and, you know, all the stickers on the back of, we have a no cell phone policy while driving. Those are big companies. Okay. Those big, big companies have resources to deploy to say that your job matters here and if you want to keep it and we see you on your cell phone, you're fired. Okay. And th- that's, a, that's, a, that's a grown up thing to do, right? We're talking about little companies here that Got have it. three trucks on the road and it's, you know, you and two of your buddies that you talked into quitting your job to come work for you. And, you know, I mean, that, that's just the way these things start. And these cell phone policies and, and you know, uh, to, you, like you are the estimator. You, when you're when you're a new company, you're the estimator, you're the sales guy, you're the chief engineer, you're all everything. Custodian. Everything. Yeah, you're everything. And so like your phone's blowing up all day. And so that's that's the biggest thing we see. So it's, it. it's putting plans in place. It's putting risk management strategies in place. Uh, from the beginning mm-hmm. and making sure that you follow them so that they become part of your culture as you grow because you the, the cost when you go from 10 trucks to 20 trucks or you go from two trucks to 10 trucks and you know the, the cost is now 10 times what it used to be. So every accident, every incident, every mistake costs a lot more. The, the mistakes cost a ton. And so that, that's where you, we have to manage it on the front end and we have to put good policies in place but I understand job the job has to get done. Yeah. And so as we sit with new clients, new businesses or even or established businesses that have gone through loss issues, we spend some time going, hey, does the money matter now more or does the production matter more? And we have clients that say, listen, I can't, you know, another big one's putting cameras in the car. Mm. You know, I my guys don't want them. Okay. Well then we need to be prepared that we're going to have losses that occur that are undefendable for you. What? Okay, let me interrupt you. What are the steps there? Because you have nothing, you have GPS trackers, is, and all the, the tracking's probably number two. Yeah. Cameras is three. Is there, a, is there even a more nirvana state than that? Probably not. Not, not that it exists Did, I, did I capture that kind of? Yeah, and the, the biggest problem is that everybody go, hey, we have GPS tracking. Who's watching it? Well, it's my job. Well, when do you look at it? Well, maybe once a month or when there's an accident, but that doesn't tell us anything. Oh. So it, it needs to be real-time tracking and real-time like, so disciplinary are you seeing, are you action. Are you seeing some good companies that do the reporting in that middle stage? We are seeing a ton of effort being made for hard stops, which, again, go back to like on your cell phone. Okay. If hard braking is a big one. Hard accelerations yeah. are another one where people aren't paying attention at a stoplight and they're taken off from stoplights. So we, you can identify trends that exist. Yeah. There are companies with algorithms that are way smarter than me and way smarter than anybody in the insurance industry that can identify actual or, you know actual changes and and then put together you know specific risk management. Okay. The the camera thing becomes a whole different program that when we have an accident, we now have data and we now have proof of what really happened and it's never he said she said 
It is, here's what happened. We're at fault or we're not, or we're comparative negligence or something along yeah. those lines. And so we're pushing hard for people to move into, you know, cameras on job sites, cameras in their trucks, do everything you can to protect yourself. Comes down back to like risk mitigation. Let's push off as much as we can, yeah. if we can. And that'll ultimately drive insurance rates lower into the future and just protection into the future. Well, I think, and thank you, because that was good that we kind of, we got a little granular with yeah. the vehicle thing. Now let's switch over to, you know, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the safety, the ergonomics, and the work, you know, as it relates to work comp. Yeah. Okay, so how to, let's unravel this one petal of the onion at a time here. Um, safety first. Okay, I'm sure you, you go into, I'm sure you come into some companies, <clears throat> great safety programs, other ones don't have anything, and then there's the in-betweeners. Um, what do you, do you guys have, do you or the carriers have a hard stance on that? And then, then, Again, then how does it, it, so think about that as number one. Number two, though, is when the ones that you need to work on, what are the new strategies uh, in that? Because just having a safety manual and doing the check the box stuff mm -hmm. doesn't work. We mm -hmm. all know that. So as you as a broker and your, and your strategic partners, how are you guys more active in the safety component of your clients? Totally. Um, Hopefully that wasn't, I didn't sit you for too much. No, that was a big question. Uh, it's a great you, question. You can manage it though. Yeah, I'll, yeah. Man I'll manage it a bite at a time. So okay. um, we have a saying, and really it came from my old man. He always used to say I was, I was more lucky than I was good. Um, <laughs> and so um, I've always been pretty lucky. Uh, I think I got the matching tattoo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we have a lot of clients and we ask them, and it's a, gr and it's a question that I ask people up front, are you lucky or are you good? And there's a lot of people that are just lucky waiting on a loss yeah. to happen. And so when we go in and they go, well, I've got a safety manual. What are we doing to make sure that it's being adhered to? Yeah. Do we have a safety and compliance director? What, what are the things in there? And, and did you get it off the shelf or is it specific to your trade? Is it specific to your manufacturing facility? What is it and, and what things can we do better? Then we dive into trending analysis. So what do the losses look like? And where are they coming from? And what do we need to change inside? Is it people cutting their hands? Is it is it people falling in holes? Is it what is it that's driving losses and what's driving expenses? Then it's easy for us to go back into take your loss data, take your costs, and back in and go, hey, every time somebody cuts their hand, it's costing you twelve thousand dollars. Do you think for twelve thousand dollars we can deploy a glove program? or a whatever program. So when you start equating things to dollars and not just effort, because nobody has, goes back to employees, nobody's got enough employees, nobody's, but it's, but equate it back to dollars and yeah. cents. And they can go, hey, these, this is what this costs you. I can't fix it, but we can mitigate it into the future. We can fix it into the future. I can't fix the past. Right. And so really it's trending analysis. It's understanding, you know, what there is. And then for, even for great big companies that just have never seen a loss. And I call them the lucky ones. Well, I feel like every time I, you know, I come across a lucky one, they are one day from a major accident, right? Well, we've and, all been there. And then OSHA has to show up. And so we, we go through with a lot of our carriers and do mock OSHA inspections mm -hmm. and understand what would OSHA look at if they came in here right now? What would it look like if you had a fatality on site? Um, I've got a client that had a fatality last year, and ultimately they did not have any OSHA violations, no OSHA fines from that fatality. And you have to think about the effort required on their behalf to have a, you know, unfortunately a young man die on, you know, die on their crew, and for OSHA to come out and find not one fault in what they did. Well, what they've done 
to, to be ready for that is we've deployed third-party risk managers. We have quarterly safety meetings or they have, they have weekly safety yeah, meetings. Right. We do quarterly loss meetings with them. We've developed with them a safety committee where we go through all of the losses. We look at the things in the, on site. We report back up to management that here's what the safety committee. So we've done a ton. They're in a high risk world. We've done a ton to mitigate those losses because when they happen, they're terrible. But OSHA found nothing wrong with what they did. And you know, that's a big deal in our world yeah. to go, we had an accident. This is why we have insurance. This is the reason we have insurance. So let me ask, uh, and again, I'm going to put the hypothetical question hat on here. If, if I, like I'm, I'm a growing company mm -hmm. and I realize I'm working with you, I've made mistakes, but if I'm <clears throat> taking my, my, my analytics and working with you to correct them, is the effort on the correction and the increasing um, uh, taking down our losses? Yeah. If I'm with an existing carrier and they see that, will they want to stay with me because I'm getting better, or am I better to go to a new carrier? Oh, that's a good question. So uh, <laughs> this is a because everyone wants to know that, Chris. Yeah. No. This is a <clears throat> this is a fundamental of how you've performed in the past. Okay. And what's your relationship with your broker, and what's their relationship with your carrier? Carrier. Okay. So we believe, it, you know, at Farmer Woods Group, and in my book specifically, we want to find you the right home mm -hmm. and stack a ton of premium with them forever. So as long as they are appropriately priced. We want you to be with somebody for four or five years so that we can weather tough losses if we have them and the carrier is going to stick by us. Okay. If you are a company that shops and moves their insurance every year for a dollar, they don't care about you like you don't care about them. You rented a piece of paper, they're going to pay their losses to the tune of the contract and that's it. And so the effort that you're going to put in, if you are, if you're a freshly minted company and you had a bad loss, you know, year one, two or three, mm -hmm. and now what do we do? Right. Well, now you need to find a broker that you trust to go tell your story about how you're getting better and what you're going to do and sit down with that carrier and go, listen, we want a long-term relationship. We're going to be great moving forward. We're no longer, we, we were unlucky. We're going to be really good moving forward. Got it. And, and we need your help in these areas. We've identified this trending. We've identified this risk. Here's what we're doing to overcome it. So it comes now down to trust between your carrier and you and sticking by you and making the right decisions for the next three or four or five years. But it's, that is a, um, that is a, a, again, it comes down to trust that when, it, when somebody comes to me when they've had a bad loss and they go, Chris, I trust you to do the right thing. You need to trust me that I'm going to put you in a great home that's going to be the right home for the next four or five years. So I think here's another, I'm just going to keep, might as well hit you below the belt yeah. while I can. I think people also always want to know, Chris, come on, you're full of shit. You know, you guys as the brokers have no influence over the carrier. You're just a middleman. You're just, you know, skimming off the top. Um, is that true? Is it false? Yeah, we, we are for profit. I tell everybody that our oh. company does exist for profit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, I, I meant more on the influence. No, no, side. no, I know. Yeah. Do we, do we have a ton of influence and I'll tell you that our relationships with our carriers matter a ton for okay. hard risks, easy risks. We probably don't. If you're a, you know, I said, uh, I said this to somebody the other day, TCBY, you remember TCBY? Yeah. The there, yogurts, yeah. Yeah, there, there hasn't been a TCBY shop and it showed my age a little bit, but um, you know, if you're a, if you're a yogurt shop, Everybody wants you. You're a great risk. Everybody goes, they don't ever burn down, that nothing ever happens at a yogurt shop. So I have no influence. You're not really cutting off fingers because you're not processing meats. I, yeah, I have no influence on, on how a carrier is going to react. I do have a ton of influence through our relationships with our regional carriers and with our national carriers 
with the the people that we're buying from. And so, you know, I have I've got a tough sales job to get you to trust me to write your insurance right. business. I've got a real tough sales job to go tell an insurance company why they should take on your risk if you're a tough account. Just depends on on who and what you are. But yeah, too, we, like touche. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I yeah. think that we do have. We don't have binding authority. No, but I think we have a ton of influence on on placement of tough risks if they've gone through a tough time. But it, you know, we have to tell a really great story. And so I think there are often times where I, I can talk myself out of a job. I'll go meet with somebody and I will ask too many questions on the front end to try and just get to the root of like, what are we doing to be good? What are we doing to be great? And they go, well, my broker doesn't ask me any of these questions. I don't want to deal with all this. I don't have the bandwidth because I don't have enough people to do this job anyway. So like, get out of my office. Got it. Um, and we'll lose those deals every time. Yeah. But you know, we want to make sure we understand really, really well, what are we doing to be great? And how do I get an insurance company to be a good partner to us? Hmm. And pick resources. So we've got, you know, We've got company A and company B, mm-hmm. and company B is going to bring a ton of resources, but they're you know thousand bucks more, ten thousand bucks more, I don't whatever. Now I can sit with you and go, hey, like I want to utilize this stuff because I think it's going to make you better, but you have to write the check. Right. And so, well, a good example is what everything we just walked through. Yeah. If they're super proactive in a loss prevention program, you know, you it's easy for you to sit there and go, listen, for you to outsource that, that might be X amount per month. Look at they're amortizing it over your premium. It's a it's a Take it. It's totally. a bonus. I mean, that, that's an easy one really to, great to pinpoint. Way to, yeah, really great way to put it. Um, I think too, we bring go ahead. we bring underwriters out to meet our clients, and you know these underwriters get stuck behind their desks. And so when I offer them a free lunch and a tour of a cool job site or a tour of a cool facility, they jump at it every time. And yeah. not enough people do it. That's and a I good think point. It's, it's such a cool thing for them to go. Oh, I see what you're doing here, and humanizing this. Like we send in these pieces of paper with applications. There's yeah. no attachment to them. These underwriters get attached to their they get attached to their clients when we bring them out and let them see what they're insuring. So on that, are you? <clears throat> is it safe to say that if everyone would give a little bit more full Monty, even half Monty, that they would have a probably a better deal long run long term? Long term, um, not only financially, but think about the relationship. Hundred percent. Yeah. You, you the the client that went through um, that fatality mm-hmm. this year. Um, we've been with the same carrier for twelve years with that client. And they had a fatality, and the carrier stuck by him. Yep. It, 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 but again, we had we picked the, our spot twelve years ago, and said this is our partner. Yeah. And they've been our partner every year. And when we've had any issues, we can get people in in town quickly and and solve things very very rapidly because they know that this is a partnership, a long term partnership. Yeah. Well stated. All right, let's go down another path. The overinsured and underinsured. So. And again, I'm just speaking from my my gray hair experience. Is the um, I look at younger companies and younger CEOs and CFOs and <clears throat> looking at their lines and what do you see as the lines they get? How do I say like forgotten, mm-hmm. abused, whatever? And I'm just going to bring up someone's like the pollution yeah. is one, um, maybe. Maybe professional liability might be another one where people aren't properly insured on, on PL mm-hmm. or E and O. What do you? I guess what I'm asking you is, can you condense it down into some consistent one or two or three things that, that you always see that most contractors, whether they're general or, or, or trade, you know, trade specific, where they're just missing the boat? Yep. Um, it comes down to 
high level conversations with your broker and understanding your risk and understanding what risk you're willing to retain in house. Okay. And so if we can identify that you have a pollution risk, we need to insure it or you need to understand what the value of that risk is. Right. If it's one above ground storage tank in your yard that's got 100 gallons of fuel in it at the most at any given time, I'm not that worried about it. If you're running, you know, truck and trailer over the road with 600 gallons of right. fuel, I'm worried about it. And yeah. I'm going to bring that to your attention. Um, there comes a time when dreams become a reality. When you see your vision materialize into a true work of art. And the only way to get there is to choose a general contractor who shares that same vision and knows how to bring it to life. At Blue Wave, we aren't so big that we've forgotten where we've come from. And we aren't so small that we can't care for your projects regardless of their size. When your vision deserves safety, perfection, timeliness, and expertise in order to become a reality, trust Blue Wave to get it done right the first time. Because it's funny, I, and the reason I brought that up is because I've seen the other side of the story too. Less, mostly underinsured, like yeah. someone that has a pollution exposure that they've never, they didn't even know what that that line meant. Yeah. But on the flip side, I've seen some where they walk in, I'm like, what the carrying twenty million in pollution? Yeah, what I'm are you like, doing? yeah, what are you doing? And like, you've been overpaying this premium for a long time. Yeah, it, it oftentimes is driven by one of our national uh, yes, I agree, our national builders that has decided by some guy in Chicago that. Hey, we need 20 million in pollution coverage or New York City, you know, something, right? And it's like, hey, yeah. I did in the Southwest, we're not that worried about it. Yeah. Um, we operate a little differently out here. So it, it's it's contractually driven a lot of the time. Agreed. Um, but I think that um, in the world that we're in today, I see less general liability losses. I see more personal or professional liability losses than anything Agreed. in the marketplace. And I think that every subcontractor um, needs to be paying attention to it. They need to be paying attention to the areas that are outside their outside their direct focus, right? Mm -hmm. And it comes down to like the things that we don't know that we don't know. We didn't know we had an exposure for that. And let's try and like identify the things that are outside of that. And you know, can we can we put a policy in place, or do you want to retain it? And if we can if we can identify all of the areas, it's you know there's a lot of like what we would consider ancillary coverages. It's cyber insurance. It's EPLI insurance. It's professional liability. It's pollution. It's uh, crime, you know, employee theft, things like that, that you're just like, whoa. Well, no, that's just where I wanted you to go. Cyber was good, okay, because a lot of people are, are kind of, eh, I don't need that. Okay, yeah. well, wait till you do, right? Uh, wait till you have an event. Yeah. Do you have any war, horror stories you can tell? The largest Without mentioning names? The largest cyber insurance carrier in the country was attacked and it shut them down for 30 days. <laughs> Not the carrier. We were doing renewals on napkins because their computers were shut down. So think about that. I mean, yeah. and nobody, uh, I won't bring up the carrier's name, no, but, please but don't. Nobody, <laughs> nobody knows what the loss was because nobody knows, but I can tell you what it costs to shut down, you know, a 5,000 person insurance carrier for 30 days is real money. Um, so cyber is not a thing of if, it is when. Okay. You will be hit, you will be shut down, something will happen. Uh, we are seeing more and more money money theft where you've got social engineering and you're getting a fraudulent email from somebody and you're sending off a you know a subcontractor's payment to the wrong place or subcontractors, oh. their email's been spoofed and you, know, you make a payment to a spoofed email. All those things, those are real today, right? And 
you know, how do we combat them? And it really is through like insurance application and understanding what are you doing and do you have dual 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 factor authentication and you know all of these things. And so, uh, you know, we are um, we're managing those loss the losses the best we can, mm-hmm. and but they're coming you know rapidly. I mean, we see them certainly not daily, but I would say monthly. We're seeing a, a loss that is meaningful and that is uncomfortable. Um, you mentioned something about crime too. What was that? Yeah, one? Crime, is yeah. this like the intercompany crime? It, like, it is like employee to employee, employee theft of you know money and securities within the company, or it's you know outside crime. I mean, it, it is, and they've they used to be all lumped into one, and they've broken apart now to oh. where cyber and crime are two different coverages now. Mm-hmm. But they were they were together for a long, long time. So, but if you're one guy in a backhoe and you get paid via check and they come to your office and you've probably got subs that come and pick up a check at your office because they don't want digital whatever, he probably doesn't have a big cyber footprint. Right. Um, most people do today. Yeah, most people and do. And so the ancillary coverages are, they need to be budgeted for and they need to be talked about and you need to decide whether you're going to retain that risk or you're going to insure against it. Like you said, are you going to, what is it, manage to get mitigated or pass it on? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if we're gonna if we're gonna mitigate it, how are we going to contractually mitigate this risk? Uh, we're gonna risk manage the best we can around everything. Every good company is doing the best they can for risk management in their computers, in their people, in their everything. Yeah. Um, but you know, ultimately, there are things that we're gonna retain, and can we buy insurance around it if we're gonna retain that risk? Um, this one's a little bit, maybe a little bit too granular, and I've used that word too many times today, but I'll keep using it. Insurance is the. Um, how often with your better clients are you <clears throat> reviewing every contract with them? God. Um, because so, I can't tell you how many times I find one or two words where, you know, it, the amount of time we spend on the legal, the legal review, but it's not even the attorney. It's more, you know, guys like you and groups like you. I'm like, hey, look this over. Yeah. Hey, that waiver of subrogation is wrong. Hey, this, you know. I mean, all those kind of things. Yeah. So we've got a, a handful of places where where we can dig in on that. So from an insurance contract perspective, okay. we're reviewing your insurance contracts on an annual basis. That contract is issued once a year. We make sure that it's it was what we presented to you, and um, it's in place with with what we identified as the risks you know that that were presented to us. Okay. So we review that insurance contract once a year. Um, the from a subcontractor to general contractor. So if I represent the subcontractor and we get a contract from a GC, we're going to review the insurance portions and the indemnification portions and be sure that we meet the requirements of that policy. Yeah, especially on the indemnity. Yeah, yeah. we are we are not going to review the um, other contractual pieces to- of that. But totally get it. Yeah, yeah and we, I should have been more specific. No, yeah, yeah. I was, and you hit the nail on the head. It's the insurance provisions, the indemnification provisions. Yep. So we're going to review that if it's, you know, it, we review them every time we're sent them from okay. our clients. Um, we are seeing a lot of our larger GCs and our larger subcontractors have an, an attorney that manages, the, you know, those those contractual uh, requirements and manages those reviews. Um, the contracts have gotten lengthy and yeah. they're written backwards. And you yeah, know, and, and again, attorneys have attorneys have uh, bolstered their jobs very very well for years to come. They, Listen, I agree, but I, I still think you bring all your players to the table. I mm-hmm. mean, I'll just I'll let the audience know that that's what I do. Yep. I, it's both my attorney, but I, I provide it to our broker as well. Absolutely. And, and, and I love the teamwork because they, they, actually, they don't have to go through me. It's like, you know, we get on an open share like email about this and then, you know, an open document and do it together. And to me, that's, 
it's just like so much easier. It's like a relief type thing. Yeah, you, you subscribe to advocacy though, yeah. and and you want everybody in your world, your accountant, your attorney, oh, your insurance broker, to be your advocate. Yeah. Oftentimes, our relationship can be viewed as adversarial with you know the wrong clients, where they go, I don't want to call Chris because every time I call him, it costs me more money. Like, maybe it does. I don't know, but you're the one that's taking on these yeah, contracts. You have to make the, me. You make the decision. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's back to again. Everyone has to decide what, what's it worth on their risk exposure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What do you want to retain on your own? And if we don't see it, if we don't have line of sight to it, we can't help and we can't provide great data and we can't provide great options. All right. Um, we've got a little bit of time left. What uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, what are you guys or what are you guys, you guys, you gals, what are your biggest um, hurdles to overcome in the next year or two as far as, you know, rep, how you work in our space? Yeah. So, um, or challenges, what do you have? Yeah, in the biggest challenge? challenges we're going to overcome is that the insurance industry as a whole has done a, uh, I would say a, a poor job of promoting how great a world this is and how great a job this is. And we get to be a part, I think I said it earlier, we get to be a really integral part of the right companies. And it's really, really fun to get to, you know, to see behind the curtain, um, of companies that you never thought you'd get to understand them. We've done a bad job of promoting that to our younger people. Okay. And so I think one of our biggest hurdles is going to be people. It's going to be finding great people that want to be a part of this, that want to have a career in this industry for you know 20 years, 30 years. Um, right, because no one goes and says, hey, I, my major at ASU is um, insurance. Nobody. I, you know, I'm, I, didn't, I haven't even told my kids I'm an insurance broker yet. I keep telling them I'm a contractor. Well, you haven't even told them you're your father. Yeah, I keep telling them I'm a contractor. No. Why do I th- what did, why did you think I asked you about the paternity test earlier? Yeah. No, it's uh, – it, but I think that's going to be a tough one on us, right? And yeah. then from um, – Client acquisition side, the the market is so volatile right now with the cost of insurance. It's going up. Yeah. You've recognized it. Everybody's recognized oh, yeah. it. This is the new normal. Uh, I think that there was um, there's been lift in every other side, and so this is like the final straw for people. They're going, how could this be so much? What well, gallon of milk's four bucks, and it costs four hundred bucks a foot to rebuild a house. How could it not be this much? And so we're like we're fighting against a lot of that, and I don't see us. I don't see an end really. Um, outside of like great relationships and, and really great accounts, if you're a so-so account that has sort of terrible losses you're gonna pay and doesn't more. do anything yeah. about it, you're going to feel pain. And if you're a really great account doing everything you can to manage your to manage your risk, you're going to be really you're going to be in a really really good shot spot. And so we're going to see. Yeah. So it, the, the, I, I think the analogy I think what you're trying to say is if you're really good, your rates will be commensurate with uh, with a lower inflationary rate. Yep. If you're below that, then play the market. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're below that, tough shit. Good Figure luck. it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, uh, Jim Farmer always says, um, you don't need help. You need oh, – I, I apologize. Yeah, but it's – No, it's all good. Saying. Yeah. All right. Any other uh, parting words or words of advice you'd like to share with the audience, at least specific to you, your firm, the industry? Yeah. I, I Make sure you're working with somebody that you trust. I mean, it all comes back down to us that we are in the trust business and making sure, make sure that your broker, the person that you are working with is comfortable having, I go back to that courageous conversations, Mm -hmm. make sure that they're comfortable having those with you. And I've got clients that I have to go tell bad news to a lot. Mm -hmm. Guess what? You'd rather have bad news now, tomorrow, it's just another day later. So we, if we have to deliver bad news, we deliver it early, we deliver it often, and but we do it out of hey, we are here's what we're doing to overcome these things, um, and you make sure that make sure you like the person that you're working with, so that if you ever have to call them <laughs> yeah. on your on your worst day, yeah, that they're the ones that you want to talk. But they'll to. answer the phone. Yeah, totally. totally. Oh, great advice. 
Thanks again. Uh, for those of you that want to get a hold of him, um, I know he's accessible. Chris Duncan, Farmer Woods Group. And uh, for those of you that spy him on LinkedIn, he has updated his 16-year-old pitcher to the appropriate age group now, so you guys don't have to worry about uh, <laughs> shopping the pootie. <laughs> so uh, thanks again for coming on today, Chris. JJ, thank you. Glad to have you. Yes, sir. You've been listening to the Mac and Blue Show, brought to you by Blue Wave General Contracting. Be sure to subscribe to the Mac and Blue Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Follow JJ Levensky on LinkedIn and Instagram. Tune in every Monday 